last week we we plugged in we joined you online and uh, Jay was interviewing in the bit we saw a couple um, who do the teams to Kenya I can't remember the names what are, what are the names okay well uh, Jay did a brilliant job and they did well too what what they talked about was calling so I kind of want to pick it up from there and say well what do you do when you get a calling how do you preserve a calling and what I've called it is seven ways to drop your call seven ways in which you can miss your calling so I haven't got a clicker so if I say next uh, maybe we do the next slide please um, the Apostle Paul if you look at what he did he in Acts 26 gives his testimony he says God broke into his life says I'm sending you to them so that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me later he says King Agrippa I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven so Paul in Acts 9 gets a vision from God which is to take the gospel to the Gentiles which is non-Jews which at that time was totally taboo you didn't do that you only took it to the Jews Paul received a word as a nobody actually he wasn't one of the big boys he wasn't one of the the synod leaders or whatever he was a nobody and God said to him take the gospel to the Gentiles years later he says to a king I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision so he's able to say the vision God gave me I walked it to the end now let, let me say something Paul's a missionary we're missionaries so you can miss the point everybody has a calling everybody has a calling from God you don't usually like Paul find it overnight you usually have to work on it and it can it can grow and it can even change there are seasons when a calling applies I went to Taiwan 52 years ago to serve the church in China I went first into China in about 1982 when it was a very very different China from what it is today I'm still doing it before I'm 80 in about 20 months time we're going to have to come back to this country that will be really difficult why because God gave me a calling that those people please don't misunderstand me have become our people you understand what I'm saying so but there is a time when we need to stop largely because of our children and grandchildren because we want to spend major time with them where we're going to live we haven't a clue needs to be near our family in London whatever so everybody has a calling not necessarily to be a missionary sadly but we all have a calling and here's the thing if we don't recognize that we can miss a major chunk of God's life let, let God's call God's work in our life let me give you an exa example anybody heard of George Verwa of Operation Mobilization some of you must have one of the most remarkable mission leaders he's slightly older than I am the first time I ever went on a mission team when I was a Cambridge student was with him or his group Operation Mobilization to Eastern Europe George was saved as a young American schoolboy 
by a, the prayers of a woman who felt called to pray for his high school. That was her calling. It was to invest heavy prayer in his high school, and George got saved, and George has sent thousands to the field and impacted millions of people. So who's the greatest? I think they're equal, actually. The woman did what God told her to do, and God bore fruit out of that. Okay, now, I'm going to use, if we go next, please, I'm going to use this guy. He's a guy called William Carey. And the reason I'm doing this, let me give an illustration. I once watched the movie Rob Roy on an airplane. And the first scene was like Scottish Highlands with some ants crawling around. You understand in economy on an airline screen, particularly at that time, you've got to have a close-up where you can't see anything. Now, if I watched that film on a mega screen, I could see the people. In the same way, looking at the life of William Carey, I can illustrate to you what's going to happen if we walk in our call, how Satan is going to attack that. So let, let me just say, if you don't know who he was, he was born in uh, Northamptonshire in a place called Pury End. Now, let, let me say that in 2011, in the census in the UK, Pury End and Plumpton and Paulersbury, three villages together, had a total population of 1,018 people. So 250 years ago, it probably had a population of 70, 80 people. A guy who went on to be one of the most remarkable missionaries, he went to India in history, was born a nobody in a nobody place. He, he wasn't born in London. He wasn't born in Beijing. He wasn't born in Los Angeles. He wasn't born in, in Nairobi. He was born nowhere in a tiny village. And God said, I got a call on your life. It doesn't matter. The background doesn't matter. The, what matters is God's call and our response to it. He uh, went to India, but I'm going to describe what happened on the way. Started schools for impoverished children, who were taught uh, reading, writing, account accounting, and Christianity, opened the first theological university. He translated, he fought against uh, Sati, which was, or Suti, which is the, the wife of a dead man having to, dead husband having to burn herself to death. He uh, is known as the father of modern missions. He translated the Bible into. Bengali, Aria, Assamese, Marathi, Hindi, and Sanskrit. Not bad from a boy from a village of 100 people, eh? It is said he translated more languages, the Bible into more languages than anybody and everybody between Jesus and himself. Now, this guy who made such an impact, let me, let me analyze what it, Seven things that he had to overcome to do it. Number one, number one, the devil's first attack is love of the world. If we look, next slide please, at a guy called Demas. Uh, just, just bring it down. Three times Demas is mentioned in scripture. First time 
in Philemon. He's with the Apostle Paul, key member of Paul's team with Mark and Aristarchus. Second time, it only mentions him and one other, him and Luke. So he's a key member of Paul's team. The third time it mentions him is this. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and departed for Thessalonica. Wow, what, what a record. He was one of Paul's core team. He saw the miracles. He saw what we've been singing about. I mean, see, saw the presence of God, the miracles of God, and he walked away from that because he wanted to make money. Very possible. Very real in the generation in which we live. Carey was a cobbler, was a shoemaker or shoe repairer. And then he tried to be a school teacher. Didn't really work. Then he tried to be a pastor. It was said his sermons were boring. So he circled back and mended shoes. Now, I don't know why he tried to do those other things, but it was out of the will of God because as he mended shoes, he put a map on the wall of the other nations and began to pray, what about those nations who've never heard? The devil will try and, and take away our love for Jesus, not the least in this generation, not the least at this time when some of our support systems are gone. The devil will offer alternatives. And I have to say, I haven't got time to give illustration. I have seen that. I've seen that in men and women more anointed than I am who are nowhere today. My closest, closest friend in the 1970s in Taiwan, another Brit, married and then walked away from his wife and went with another woman. We walked down the street of Nanjing Donglu, of Nanjing East Road, in about 1971, challenging ourselves, do you believe we have a, you have a call from God? Yes, we do. We know we have a call from God. But he walked away from it for immorality. And the, the first thing we need to realize is we hold in our hands something that's immensely precious and we really don't want to let it go. We really don't want to let it go. If you ask me, I, I did law part one at Cambridge University, could have been a lawyer, was doing quite well. If you ask me, do you want to go back and redo that and have two Mercedes and whatever? No, because what God has given me has been so exciting, has been so thrilling. Your call, if you walk in it, will satisfy you in the way the world never, ever will, whatever your call may be. Okay, number two. The devil's next attack is unrecognition. When Carey looked at this map and saw the nations, he was at a, a minister's meeting kind of thing, and the leader said, what are we going to talk about today? And Carey said, please can we talk about the situation with those who have never heard the gospel? People in other nations who've never had opportunity to hear what we can hear here. Even if you're not a believer in Jesus, Andrew makes that offer to, to accept Jesus into your life. Maybe like me, I grew up in a non-Christian home. Christian grew up in a missionary home. I grew up in a non-Christian home. We didn't do church in my family, but God rescued me through a group called Scripture Union at a boys' camp. Now, Carrie said, 
what about those nations? And the leader of the meeting said, sit down, young man. If God wants to do that, he'll do it without you and me. In other words, total utter put down. Instead of saying, yes, what about, in our terms, what about Afghanistan? What about Myanmar? What about other nations who've had so little chance? The guy said, if God wants to do it, he'll do it without you and me. Total put down, total squash of his vision. That is a very real phenomenon when God begins to stir in your heart. That often, you think of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul goes up to Jerusalem in Acts 9, says God's called me to the Gentiles, and they say, go home, young man. Send him back to Tarsus. I, I wouldn't say it's universal, but if God really gives you a vision, in the initial stage, very few people will understand it, and some will put you down. Some will say, you, uh, we use an expression in Chinese, chunilaba, get out of here. That's what they'll say. Not always, I mean, never in this church, of course, but in, in, in other situations that happens, and you've got to press through that. If it's God, he will be faithful. So the next trick, the next thing the devil does is you go beyond that into a stage, you, you feel, sit down, young man, I've been put down. You begin to question, is God, are God's promises real? Is God really working in my life? And I assure you, even the most amazing people that you could know in, in my world, in mission history, there's a guy called J.O. Fraser. J.O. Fraser went to a minority group in China in about 1910 who were called the Lisu people. There was not one single believer amongst them. They were animist, idol worshipping and so on. He worked amongst them for seven years, seven years, living on his own in really primitive conditions, learning their language. He gave them a script which is still the official script of the Lisu people because the language had never been written down. But after seven years, he began to think, am I in the right place? Does God answer prayer? This is one of the most powerful praying warriors in the history of mission. And he began to think, perhaps I'm getting this wrong. Perhaps God doesn't answer prayer. Perhaps nothing's ever going to happen. And interestingly, somebody sent him a magazine called The Overcomer. No idea who, no idea why, and it probably took two months to reach him at that time, because he was way, way in southwest China. This is really rural, rural China. The magazine reached him, and God spoke to him through the magazine and encouraged him and strengthened him. Shortly after that, God said, now this is a people group with no Christians whatsoever. God said, I will give you 100 families, 600 believers. Today, the lease of people have a higher percentage of believers than any other minority people in China, pro rata. But at that critical point, when nothing seemed to be happening, when day after day you pray, you labor, nothing's happening, Lord. 
he wavered and began to say, does God answer prayer? Carey um, faced those struggles and faced those battles as well. So dear ones, if it's God and it's, it's his calling, you will be hit at some point, often earlier, but not necessarily by that kind of attack. You see, the calling, Paul is such a brilliant model in this. Paul, Paul basically encountered Jesus in Acts 9. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're crucifying. Then the Lord go into the, said, go into the city, Acts 9, and you'll be told what you must do. The, the order for Paul was very interesting. Who are you, Lord? You'll be told what you must do. Now, what that means is the what, the call, can never exist and survive and prosper without the who. If it becomes a work, then it'll fail. It's only as strong as my relationship with Jesus. And that's uh, what we do a lot with Field Partner is my burden in Field Partner is really foundations, is, is making sure people who go to the field know what to do I think of a brother uh, years and years ago. We put about, I suppose, between the two ministries, 30 million Christian books into the hands of Chinese believers over the last 35, 40 years. And there was a brother at one point um, who was running this. Our team are now all mainland Chinese or other Chinese. At that point, it was a Caucasian guy. And I met with him in Hong Kong, and he said, look... Uh, I want to go home. can't do this. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's too tough. I said, well, what you need to do is take time apart, just spend time with the Lord, meet with the Lord again, encounter God again, and he'll strengthen you. He said, I do not know how to do that. Do you know what I said? Then you better go home then. Because if the point of the worship we've just been through, the point of the teaching is to encounter God, is to meet the Lord for ourselves. That, that's where it's at. I tell you, from 52 years of experience, you, you can't do it without that daily walk with Jesus. You can't do it without that growth in the Lord Jesus, individually, corporately. So the, Lord, the devil will come and try and say it's not true. I read this this morning from Selwyn Hughes. Selwyn Hughes never met him Never heard him, but he's like a mentor to me. He said this, We consider how another hard thing we mortals have to bear in a fallen world is called dereliction. By this I mean a sense of being abandoned by God, which is sometimes called the dark night of the soul. The feeling of being deserted by the one who has been trusted for many years is the darkest and most difficult experience for a believer. It seems rather strange that the God who promises his children that he will never leave us or forsake us sometimes allows us to experience a sense of abandonment. Theologians speak of this as the hiddenness of God. That, that ring bells with me and I guess with a lot of people in this generation, in this time, in this COVID time. I don't understand it. I don't know why the Lord does that. But there are they're not frequent, but there are times when it seems just a dark struggle. But what I can tell you from having been through some with Christine, he's always faithful. 
And when he comes, you grow in him. When you come, something that was hindering your walk with him, something in which you depended rather than him has been knocked away. If you're going through that, it doesn't mean he's left you. It doesn't mean he's left you. He's probably more with you than he's ever, he's ever been in your life. It just means you're not seeing that. There are times when you're praying for your kids. There are times when you're praying about some work situation. There are all kinds of times when it seems God just doesn't do it. A friend of ours used to say, God is never late, but he certainly misses a number of opportunities to be early. <laughs> he, he, his timescale is not ours. His way of doing things are not ours. But fortunately, he knows what he's doing. Okay, moving quickly along. Next one. The devil's fourth attack is delay. Delay. It kind of follows on from what I've just said. That Carey set out finally from England to go to India, reached the Isle of Wight, and somebody said to the captain of the boat who's taking them to India, who, I don't know why, had gone to the Isle of Wight, parked there, harbored there for a while. Somebody said, if you take these missionaries then the East, British East India Company won't do business with you. If there's missionaries on your ship and you're not as well as doing business, the British East India Company, dear old Britain, the British East India Company will cut off your business, Captain, with them. And you know what he did? He sailed without them. He must have said, look, we're going to be in the Isle of Wight for a week, so why don't you find somewhere to live? Take all your belongings with them in the night or whatever. The guy hooks off, leaving Carey and his team parked in the Isle of Wight. Finally, Carey gets to India, and he had become a Baptist in the meantime. And the, the people in the first city where he was said, we don't deal with Baptists. This is the missionaries. So he had to move to Sarampur, to another place altogether. In other words, delay after delay. Of one thing I'm certain, if you're into God's call in your life, you will experience delay. You will experience times when it seems the captain takes off and leaves you parked in, of all places, the Isle of Wight. If you're from the Isle of Wight, sorry. Um, been there. Um, nice place. Um, there will be delays. Maybe you're feeling that now. I, I was so ready to go. I was just ready to go. And then we had COVID. Then we had COVID. I mean, even, even where we live in, in Taiwan, we, we send usually about 150 people on teams into China. And nobody can go. The only people that can go fly from Taiwan to, say, Shanghai, do two weeks lockdown in Shanghai, then the work amongst Tibetan orphans that we have in the Northwest, they have to do another week when they get to Sining, before they even get to where they're going. So people say, uh, I don't think so. When I go back at the beginning of October, and probably for this reason Christine won't go back, because I'm coming from Britain, I will be locked down in a government facility for two weeks. Last, last year when I went back, it was in my own apartment. But this year, you can't do it. And I'll tell you what happens. At the airport, an app gets onto your phone. You think you guys have it good. Listen to this. There's an app on your phone that the police trace 24 hours a day. 
if you leave that room for one minute, you can be fined $20,000. Christine uh, had to lock down separately from me because she came back afterwards. She turned off the phone to pray and be quiet before the Lord. Within 15 minutes, there was a policeman at her door checking if she'd walked out. Now, these are, these are difficult days. These are delayed days. I, I have to calibrate it because it's a very important preaching thing at the end of October in a really good church. I have to calibrate it that I can allow at least three weeks between landing and being able to preach. They're delayed days. They're frustrating days. But in, in, in our view, the Lord knows what he's doing. I trust it's your view as well. He, he is wanting to work in us in a way he couldn't if you're like me and you're moving at full speed the whole time. He's wanting to point out things that he couldn't without the delay. Number five, family battles. How many missionaries are brought down because of family battles? Carrie's wife, now, now think again, she's born in rural Northamptonshire. She didn't want to go to India. She agreed to go to India if her sister went with her. When she got there, she actually became mentally deranged. And Carrie would work translating with his wife ranting and raging in the next room. And people said, look, just send her to an Indian whatever you call it these days, um, mental health asylum, whatever, whatever it's called. It had a much ruder term in those days. And he said, I can't do that. I cannot do that because I don't know how they treat my wife. So for years, he had to handle struggles and battles of a wife who didn't want to be there. Didn't f I mean, rural Northamptonshire, come on. And who became mentally deranged day after day, yelling and screaming in the house. Now, I trust none of our marriages are quite like that, but the devil will come and attack through our relationships, through our kids, through different, different ways. I can remember preaching in Australia. Now, um, I'll give you the end of this story, but the beginning of it was preaching in Australia when one of our daughters got into really, really serious trouble in the school in India where they were. And I'm supposed to preach and I'm wrestling with this, with this situation. She is now a pastor's wife, church planting in Los Angeles, but she wasn't then. God did amazing things in her life and she's a fantastic daughter. But there are times when things really go belly up in the family. Health, uh, someone takes off into left field, all kinds of different things. The family, particularly in a sense, kids of those who want to serve the Lord, can be the soft underbelly that the devil attacks. That's why we need to pray, not just for missionaries, but for those who serve the Lord, for all of us, that God cares and looks after our family. Number six, the devil's sudden and unexpected attack and shocks. Carrie, some people say, translated parts of the Bible into 50 different languages. 
a brother joined him who was a printer. So they had a printing press which was churning out the Bible in multiple Indian languages. First time probably India had had access to the Word of God. Carey was away at some kind of meeting, uh, speaking, preaching, and word came to him that the entire printing press had burnt down, including the only copies of a number of translations that he'd done. He didn't have a Mac. He didn't have backup. He didn't have anything. He lost. Some people say some, other people say all of what he had. The devil will come in with attacks like that. Sudden, unexpected shock that we were totally unprepared for. That seemed, that seemed incredible. How, how could you allow that, Lord? Do you know what Carey said? Carey said, as a man goes on a journey the second time, he'll do the journey quicker the second time because he's been the journey once and knows the way and started translating these things all over again. In other words, his theology was not, how could God allow this? I'm out of here in a half. His theology was the devil clearly doesn't want the word of God to get to the Indian people. So I'm going to make sure it does. If your call, and any call from God is important, let me tell you this, you have an enemy who will try and stop it. Stop it with sudden invasion, sudden fire, sudden accident, sudden this, sudden that. It's par for the course. But the Lord is in charge and he will bring it to pass. So if you face that, I just sense actually one or two have faced that, just unreasonable impossible things that have come out of a clear blue sky which have kind of wrecked what, what you were doing it seems that that smashed the whole thing god can still use you in fact i would assess he can use you more strongly than he could before if you say to the enemy of the souls of man i'm not buying that i'm not going to let you win i'm going to press on I'm going to press on. Okay, one more. One more. And then I just very quickly, if I may, want to look at another passage to give a perspective. The seventh one is, is team. Team falling apart. Carey, it said, internal dissent and resentment was growing within the missionary society in India as its numbers grew. The older missionaries died and they were replaced by less experienced men. Some new missionaries arrived who were not willing to live in the communal fashion that had developed. One going so far as to demand a separate house, separate stable, and servants. I mean, like saying, I'm British aristocracy, so I'm going to live that way in India. Carey lived on the ground with the people. And you know what he did? He walked away from the society he had founded and restarted. Now, that can happen. That can happen. That can happen, that teams that once were strong break up. I remember years ago, a guy saying to me, we really pray and we seek the Lord together and just when it seems it's about to take off, something happens and splits up. Guess who did that? Guess who did that? 
My only word to myself and yourself is don't be the initiator of that. Don't be those younger missionaries who said, we don't want to live as you lived. You've changed India. We're not going to live that way. We want to live like we did in England as the aristocracy. Um, don't, don't be the critic. Don't be the negative. Be, be the one that says you have the leadership experience. I'm just going to walk with you. Final slide, and then if I may, I'll just take two minutes to, to look at another passage, um, if I can find it. So what's God calling you to? Press through these things. Accept that those kind of attacks are normal. If it's real, you will face that kind of attack. Who is God sending you to so that they may receive what? And are you going to be able to say, I was, was not, am, am not, will, will not be disobedient to the heavenly vision? Let me earth it very, very quickly, if I may, from a, a passage that really, really impacted me from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 7.17. Nevertheless, as the Lord has assigned to each, 1 Corinthians 7.17, in these few verses, Paul mentions called eight times and he never mentions Kenya, never mentions Taiwan or China, never mentions Burundi, never mentions India, never mentions South America or Mozambique. Nevertheless, as the Lord has assigned to each of us, as God called each person, so must he live. I give this sort of direction in all the churches. Paul said, where you are now is where you're called to now. So live now like you're called to live for Jesus, where you are. He's highly politically incorrect, as we'll see in a minute. Was anyone called after he was circumcised? He should try not to undo his circumcision. If you're a Jew, don't go back to being a Gentile. Was anyone called who is uncircumcised? He should get, not get circumcised. If you're a Gentile, you don't need to become a Jew. If God made you a Gentile, live as a Gentile. God lived you, made you a Jew, live for Jesus as a Jew. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Instead, keeping God's commands is what counts. Let each one remain in that situation in life in which he was called. Let each one remain in that situation in which he was called. Today, where God has put you, that's where he wants you for today and tomorrow. Maybe not for the next day, but for now. Where you're called as a slave. This is where it's highly politically incorrect. Where you're called as a slave, don't, don't worry about it. But if you indeed you're able to be free, make the most of the opportunity. Please don't say Paul believed in slavery. Read the letter of Philemon where Paul says to the owner of a slave, you owe me your life in Jesus, pay it back by freeing this young slave of yours that's run away and I've led to Jesus. For the man who is called in the Lord as a slave is the Lord's free man in the same way the one who is called, called, called as a free person is Christ's slave. You were brought with a price, do not become slaves of men. In whatever situation Someone was called, brothers and sisters, let him remain in it with God. You say, well, what else are you saying, Paul? I, I believe this, very quickly. Paul was saved in Damascus. It's not clear to me how long he worked in that region, but in Damascus, he preached Jesus. He won men and women to Christ. Then, after a while, he went up to Jerusalem. And he preached Jesus in Jerusalem until they told him, 
uh, go home, get out of here, go back to Damascus. So he preached Jesus in Damascus. Sorry? Tarsus, sorry, sorry, Tarsus, thank you. Then Barnabas in Acts 11 in Antioch goes and gets Paul and brings him to Antioch, the new exploding church, the new trinity. And, and, God said, and Paul preaches, witnesses, wins men and women to Christ. Acts 13, years after that call in Acts 9, God says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to the work which I've called him. And then he goes out on his missionary journeys. That's, I think, what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you just sit around saying, until God gives me a clear call and uh, does amazing things in my life, I ain't going to do nothing. That's a double negative. I'm not going to do anything. I think that's better. Um, it, it, if we live that way, we'll miss God. I honestly believe that. Where I am now today is where I'm called to be. Taiwan now. So what does it mean for me? Christine and I walk out of our little apartment in Taipei. We pass a motorbike repair shop. Now, think of a kind of barn with motorbikes all over the road kind of thing. And we talk with him and we witness to him and we wave to him. And his assistant says every day, Chumana, are you going out? I say, yeah, going out. Pretty obvious, actually. Then we pass the barber shop. Barber tells me he came from Totung, which is about an hour outside Taipei. So a pastor from Totung asked me to preach there, came and picked me up. I introduced the pastor to this guy to witness to him. Then there's a potato shop. The potato shop sells jacket potatoes. Uh, with vegetable in them and so on, uh, one of my favorites. And they talk to me about football, um, which is very rare in Taiwan because they go to bed at 11 and the matches come about 3 o'clock in the morning and they watch the morning, the matches, while I'm asleep. All of these people are where we are in our life in Taipei. All of these people at Christmas, because we couldn't come back, I invented a British tradition for them. I bought chocolate and a Christmas tract. And I gave them the chocolate and said, please read the tract. And the potato lady, when I next saw her, said, hey, he ate your chocolate. He never read the thing you gave him. <laughs> and, and, and he said, yes, I did, yes, I did. <laughs> and then I found out he'd been to Sunday school. He never told me that before. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, we, we can't work in China at the moment. China's locked down. Where we are in that street, little street in Taiwan, is where we're called to function. Yes, I preached recently in the biggest church. Up to 50,000 people viewed it on YouTube. But that's not my daily life. My daily life is that street with those people. Wherever you're called to now... Be faithful in that now and be praying that God increases that to the fullness of his call. Thank you, Lord. Sorry, Andrew, a bit long there. Lord, help us, we pray. Help us to, to realize what Paul is saying there. We're called to be and live for Jesus where we, where we are today, even in the midst of COVID, even to be different in the midst of COVID because we know and love you because we're redeemed by you. And I'm sure, Lord, for each of us, you have more. But help us to be faithful to today's calling, to be ready for tomorrow's calling. In Jesus' name, amen.